Hello and welcome to episode 152 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the return of a guest that originally appeared back in September 2017. Yes, almost four years ago, but now I'm welcoming back with open arms. I'm thrilled to announce that on today's episode, I'm joined by one of the best film directors in the world. He's an incredible writer and all-round amazing guy. Today, I welcome back on the Mark and Me podcast, Neil Blomkamp. We get to sit down and delve deep into his brand new film, Demonic. It's an incredible film and it's available on video on demand and in the cinemas in the UK on the 27th of August. I urge you all to check this film out. It's done during lockdown and honestly is an incredible film from start to finish. But not only that, if you're listening to this and you're in the UK, the film will be showing at this year's Fright Fest. In fact, it's the world premiere of this film at the Fright Fest itself in the UK. So I urge you, if you live in the UK, get yourself a ticket. They're still available right now and see this film on the big screen. You will not regret it. I'm so honoured and so glad that Neil's come back on the podcast and I know when I put the hints out over the last few days people have gone quite crazy online because they can't wait to hear this and neither can I. So I think the best thing to do right now is to get straight to the interview. So here's me and Neil talking all things demonic. Thanks for coming back on the podcast and joining me today on Mark and Me. Yeah, no sweat. Thank you, man. It means a hell of a lot to come back on and I'm really, really excited to talk about demonic. Now, what I wanted to do today is we've covered loads on the last episode, talking about obviously District 9, all that sort of stuff. There has been over the last few years some projects that have started and loads of my listeners and people have obviously reached out and want to know more about Aliens, which you've talked to about to death and Robocop. But can you give a bit of an insight to why those projects, especially Robocop, just didn't come about in the last couple of years for you and that have kind of led you to where you are now? Um. I mean, you know, I really do want to focus on demonic and like, it's, it's, it's a case of not wanting to like dwell on the past too much yeah. for me. Uh, just cause you know, I mean, also even to the studios, right. It's like, it's probably irritating to Fox that this keeps coming up with, yeah. with alien and I don't blame them. I mean, it's like, they made a choice. They wanted to make a different film. It's like, whatever. So it, it, it is kind of, it's distracting to me in some ways. Um, but I would say, I guess, in answer to Robocop, that Robocop not happening was very directly the result of me basically leaving the project. Yeah. And I just, you know, it was, I just felt like I wasn't really being able to, to, to make exactly what I wanted to make, I would say. Um, but, you know, that's whatever, that's filmmaking. That's how it goes. Let's so. bin off all that shit then. Let's talk your brand new film. Talk to me about your brand new film. I've been lucky enough to see it already. Uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And it's great to see that you've been able to pull this off during lockdown. But I was a massive, massive fan of your Oats series. I thought it was absolutely incredible. And some of the best work you've done. And to see that you've done it from your from your own home and your studio, it was just yeah. mind-blowing. <laughs> and it's so good to see that you've been able to continue that and get it on Blu-ray and stuff. But... How did it now lead to obviously being in lockdown and being able to still pull off and produce a film? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely born out of very much that, you know, it, it isn't it isn't an Oates film, an Oates Studios production, but it's it's born out of the same kind of energy. And a lot of the crew members are the same crew members. Yeah. So it's it's really, you know, if you think that we were, we were essentially making like YouTube videos and when the, when the pandemic hit and bigger, more traditional films 
everyone just took a moment to figure out what was happening. Um, it makes sense that that doing something a little bit more down and dirty and kind of uh, you know grassroots with 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 highly motivated crew members would be a fun thing to do while we kind of assessed what was happening in in the larger filmmaking you know arena. So uh, so that that's pretty much exactly what happened was was looking at films like Paranormal Activity and Blair Witch Project that were self financed because this started off being self financed and. And going like let's just let's just gather a bunch of people together that are very much of the kind of you know the 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 oats lineage and then go into the woods and, and shoot something and and unlike other movies um that i've worked on before it was much more of a puzzle piece kind of situation of of because of the lower budget figuring out what what we had access to and how we could incorporate that into the story and and kind of it was almost like a brewing pot of of concepts that we were throwing into it to try to make it feel like it had good production value, but that it was still, you know, a very indie kind of approach to how we did it. And is that quite strange because you've had the big budgets for stuff like Chappie and all that to go back to your grassroots in the early days, even before district nine to have literally, you know, it feels like it must be starting again and making films. Uh, well, not, not really. I mean, it's more, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm equally comfortable between doing like a hundred million dollar film or a YouTube video. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, Such I, a I, difference. I, but no, no, I, yeah. I, I'm really just, I, I, I like love the idea of putting stuff out on f for free on YouTube. It's like my yeah. favorite. Thing. Um, so, so I think, I think if you, if you, you don't have any sort of, um, if you don't have any issue with where you sit in the budget level of films and you just want to be creative, then there's really no, there's no issue with doing something that's self-financed and smaller. And I kind of, I want to do that more going forward, you know, like yeah. go from higher budget back to like super low budget to high budget to low budget and just kind of oscillate within there. And also uh, more totally free YouTube stuff as well, because you can experiment there too. And so, you know, that, that, that's really how the film came about. And it was, it was a case of just wanting to be creative and go out and do something. And the crew we assembled was awesome. You know, they were from people like Carly um, all the way over to um, Byron Kopman, who was our DP, who's, who's, who comes out of, you know, uh, a very, like he, he operates differently as a DP and yeah. has yeah. a very small close knit group of guys that work with him. And it, it just, it just felt like, you know, it felt like an, a very um, collaborative, very good creative uh, situation that we'd kind of put together. And, you know, I love that. What was really good as a, a fan of your films and just seeing it on the, the kind of Twitter and Facebook and everything is that you keep, you kind of kept this under wraps. Nobody knew anything about it. And then just over a week ago, you suddenly dropped this, teaser for the teaser trailer and <laughs> exploded and I, yeah. it doesn't happen anymore in films everybody always gets an on-screen sh shot or a, a background yeah. image or something even like they're, they're filming Indiana Jones 5 I know it's huge right now but we already now know what he looks like because there's pictures of him in the suit there's the hat there's all the background we see loads of set pictures but nobody knew anything how, how do you keep this under wraps so well I mean honestly I do I do think that that was a symptom of it being uh, initially self-financed, you yeah. know, where, where it's like, you, you really have control over it. And I, I, I love when I think back to 
the way that I ingested films when I was a kid. And I think of like Fangoria magazine and like, you know, how difficult it was to be able to get hold of any kind of behind the scenes imagery for anything that was coming out, yeah. you know, and in South Africa, I mean, we had like three or four channels on TV. So it was, it was even more um, restricted than it would have been in, in North America. But the point is there was this sense of anticipation and, and I feel like with the, the scale and the scope of everything now between the scale of the film industry and also the scale of social media and just the volume of, of the, the insurmountable amount of like content that is being just pumped into the masses. Um, there's a situation now where in order to compete, they just have to basically release everything to do with the movie all the time, 24 hours a day. Yeah, it's true. Days a year to like keep the audience vaguely entertained because there's so much selection. And I, I just personally, I really hate that. You know, yeah. um, I don't, I don't like it at all, but it's not really a battle that you're going to win if you're on a high budget film with a big studio. Like you're not really going to be able to, uh, to dissuade them from doing that because you could endanger this, this massive investment that they have. So, but on a film like this, you kind of, you can, you know, and, and once IFC got involved, I mean, I love, I really, really love the, the marketing division at IFC. They've been so cool about how they've approached everything. And, and the, 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 the teaser felt like, you know, felt like what it should feel like, which is, yeah. which is, it's, it's very indicative of the movie. And it's also, it doesn't give away too much. I think the trailer probably will give away too much, but it's, it goes back to the same argument, which is like, if you don't show the audience everything, they won't turn up, which is kind of extremely counterintuitive. It makes no sense to me, but there seems to be data to back that up. And how is it that you are in this position now where, because it's more self-financed and you can have more ownership, that you're not having this big studio interference, so you can do what you want. You haven't got someone coming in every five minutes wanting to come and chop bits out or make it more marketable. It must be really refreshing just to be able to do what you want to do yeah i mean you know that you can you can you can do that often at higher budget levels as well like if you if you talk about things like alien and, and robocop and, and halo i think when there's when there's inherent um sort of guidelines to how the ip needs to be treated that's where things can get a little bit more complicated yeah um, but i think i think if you know it's it's not necessarily a symptom of budget like I think at lower budgets and higher budgets, you're going to get, you're going to get someone from the studio or some, some, some distributor saying, you know, giving, giving you thoughts on how they think the film will be received. Like it's, it's really too long. It's really too boring in this part. It's, you don't have enough here. And the way that I look at it is if, if you're hearing that from enough people and maybe it's not even the studio, it could also be audience members, right? Like it could yeah. be friends and family. Um, if there's a pattern that emerges out of that, there's probably something that you should listen to. Um, and you'd be unwise to dismiss it because everyone is feeling something similar. Uh, but, but the point is, I think that you, you, you definitely can make higher budget films that you have a certain level of, um, of control over that, that really make them feel like, like your films. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure that you could do that with something like Star Wars. No. <laughs> so, so I, I think for me, it's not really a budget thing. It's, it's just more, more now as I get older, definitely gravitating towards more uh, ideas of my own that just allow me to do that, you know? 
And with the film, obviously, um, it's hard because I don't want to give much away, but you've been able to shoot this during the pandemic and the COVID lockdown and everything else that's going on in the world, which has been really tricky. You've seen these massive films all being put on hold and the production studios just aren't taking any risks, but you've pulled this off. And what were the biggest challenges? Because it looks like there was never a pandemic and you've just made this absolute perfect film from start to finish. Well, I mean, you know, I think in 2021 the film industry is, it feels to me very much back up on its feet. There's, there's just, there's a real structure uh, and a rule book to how you go about filming, you know? Yeah. Um, where in 2020, that was not the case. Uh, it was, it felt, it felt much more, um, you know, like my brother was, was a producer on the film and I, and, and he was getting information like, cause we shot in Canada. So obviously the Canadian sort of DGA is involved. And then, um, I don't remember how much of it, oh, sorry, the DGC was involved. I don't remember how much uh, we got from the US, like with SAG and, and DGA and stuff like with rules and regulations, but we definitely had to kind of figure out what was the protocol for how you do it because, yeah. we, because it was so early in the situation. Um, so that, that, that felt like there was a little bit of legwork to figure out like, well, what are the requirements and how, how do you do it? You know, there was nothing, there was no talk of vaccines because they didn't exist, you know, Um so I think once you just go through that process and in, if, if the crew members feel okay about thing, how things are happening, then, um, then once you've gotten that figured out, you can then approach it like you're shooting a normal film, if that makes sense. And, and because the concept wasn't based on the pandemic, I didn't want it to have anything to do with the pandemic. Uh, it feels like it just emerged from a COVID-free yeah. you know, filmmaking environment, which was the goal. Which you've pulled off massively because that's what's so refreshing. There's been too much now where everyone's just jumped on it and thought, let's use COVID to try and sell this film or get it involved. And it felt like all I've done is live and breathe COVID and everything. And now I've got this refreshing change. When I watched this whole film, it was like, ah, oh, thank you, Neil. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a release. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think we had just completed shooting or something and uh, and Michael Bay's, I think it's called Songbird, came out, which is you know a heavily pandemic film. But the thing that was mind blowing about it was the speed at which those guys had shot that film. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, I was like, holy crap! Like for them to move that quickly, they must have seriously hustled with production. With the um, success of Oats, and you know, some of my friends that make films and study film or at film school, they use it as their kind of template to go to as like a textbook of just how to do things properly. And the success was incredible to see it on YouTube and the whole concept. It felt like you had reinvented the wheel with something new of this concept of making these short films that people could tune in and watch. And if you liked it, then you could watch the next one, and then eventually you could get the physical Blu-ray. Is this something you now want to do as a concept moving forward? Are you going to bring us more out stuff? Are you going to do more stuff independently within the studio so you can hopefully do what you want and have this whole group around yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, you know, the problem the problem with Oats is the finances and how to figure out um, the the uh, how how to make it self sustainable. And it was it was initially designed to be extremely um, online based. You know, it was actually going to be distributed through Steam initially. Yeah. And that and that if if we gave away like if you give away Raka for free and you give away Firebase for free and you give away Zygo for free, then my what I wanted to do was I wanted to go here's Raka two, okay, for like ninety nine cents, and then 
hopefully you probably wouldn't break even on racket two, but maybe on racket three, you would break even. And all you really have to do is break even. You just need enough people to purchase racket three yeah. to allow you to shoot racket four. And, and once the system is up and running, it's like up and running. So, um, but I think steam doesn't really have video on their system anymore. And, you know, we're kind of like left in purgatory slightly until I moved to figure out a different, um, a different platform and a different way to monetize it down the line. Cause you have to monetize it. Otherwise, you know, you're just, I mean, obviously it's, it's like, yeah. that's not rocket science, but, um, but I think that, I think that it stands a chance of working eventually. You just need to burn enough cash to get to that point. Yeah. Um, but I have to say like the, the, the studio that we built and everybody that was involved with it, um, you know, it was, it was a really awesome uh, time and it was kind of manufactured or, or assembled on this kind of Corman-esque, like everything happens under one roof, filmmaking nerve center. I was going to say, it must feel like a family, like this whole sort of group of people that are there every day working together as like, a, like the ultimate team, you know? Yeah, it's kind of, it, you know, it reminded me a lot of how I felt about Weta when I was in New Zealand. But the difference is that Oates would make everything from from beginning, middle to end. Yeah. Where, where And I think Weta may be kind of moving into that a bit. But but like, obviously, at the time, for me, Weta, Weta was hyper um, practical, prop specific. Um, but but if you if you scaled that up to to handle all elements of production and basically out of the back door of the factory would come these these films from short films to full films that's what that's what the idea was you know so and the idea is definitely not gone it's just it just needs to be rejigged to be financially viable i'd love to see in the future that you become this studio that then takes another up-and-coming director's work and produce their work and put it out during it i know you've got to concentrate on your own products yeah. at the moment but i'd love to see it grow into this huge you know empire that you yeah. could just take on other people and promote and get the word out yeah. there for I'm not sure people. if I know how to do that though. Like, I mean, firstly, I need to deal with myself. You know? <laughs> yeah, one finger at a time. Uh, and then, secondly, I, I just, I just don't know if my brain is built that way. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just so sort of centric in how I think about things. I don't, I, I don't really, I don't know if I'd be good at that. No, that's fair enough. Yeah, I think the idea is cool. I like. Yeah, what you're the concept's good. It's just yeah. to put it in reality is like, nah, I'm okay. It's a bit hard. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing that stood out in this film was the special effects. And I don't want to talk about too much because I really hate spoiling films for people. And I love people going in blind. But some of the special effects, the practical and the digital effects, when we see the girl's transformation and we see her go into this creature, I'm not even going to ruin it anymore. And we see her in yeah. the house and the flames come in. It looks absolutely unbelievable. And it's one of those things where I was like, this is where I can see the influence of Oates is being brought into the film. And it's incredible. Now, the team you have between your special effects are just absolute geniuses because it looks flawless. And I just want to say a massive prop to them because it is something that should be winning awards when it comes out because it just looks outstanding. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked you feel that way. I mean, you know, what's interesting is this this team was actually on a visual effects perspective. They were a very different team to, to Oates. There, there was um, the on-set VFX supervisor was our Oates VFX supervisor, Chris Harvey, who's like a really good friend of mine. I, lo I love him. And then for uh, for actual, um, you know, VFX facility and all of the, the actual grinding VFX work, 
was this amazing company that we formed a relationship with uh, called UPP out of Czech Republic. Yeah. So they're based in Prague and, and uh, Victor who runs UPP was, was also the VFX supervisor and they are just, I mean, I, I like, you know, I, I don't know, there's not enough good things to say about them and how, um, how open-minded they are about using unusual technology. Like what we did with volumetric capture in the, in the VR uh, environments yeah. is, is really unusual. It's not, it's not really in mainstream use yet. Um, mostly because the fidelity isn't there. So you have to, you have to come up with a narrative reason why it can look grungy. Yeah, which simulation in this movie allows for. I loved it. I thought it looked like it was that cross reality of not stupid virtual reality in video games, but it had the right balance. It, it felt uh, like I could be having a control pad at times and then still connecting yeah. to the story. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I think I, it worked. I, I totally love how, how it looks personally, um, but it, it was a highly unusual, weird process to get there. And yeah. I don't, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really funny that a low budget, tiny horror film has, has this like kind of cutting edge VFX elements in it, which is pretty hilarious, but it's, it, that's kind of my point is how UPP just picked that up and ran with it. And, you know, and then in Vancouver, um, there's a company called volumetric Cap capture system, capture systems that, uh, that did the work for us. Tobias runs that. And like we have the rig, to shoot the actors inside of consisted of about 250 cameras. Wow. So it's a dome yeah. of, of, it's basically, it's basically photogrammetry, like still, still imagery photogrammetry of extracting three-dimensional objects out of multiple camera angles, but we did it with video essentially. So That's it's three-dimensional three video. Yeah, it's going to blow people's minds. My my final question for you today is what I've done since you last came on the podcast is every guest that comes on, if it's an actor, director, producer, they get to choose the outro piece of music to the episodes to make it quite unique. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. You've only got a couple of minutes to decide. But what I want to do is ask you for your choice of song. It can be an artist, a band, a piece of music from a film. I'm not going to give you too long to think about it because you'll think, oh, there's 10 does or it, 20 pieces. Does it have to do with... with with demonic and or is it just anything anything you want so anthony oh, hopkins awesome. picked like some song by the beatles Corey Feldman's yeah. picked some metal track it can be whatever you want um yeah i'm gonna this is what i want to go out on then i want to go out on uh roots bloody roots oh, sepultura nice yeah. what a band what a incredible yeah. song yeah that's a hell of a that's an epic song to go out on <laughs> yeah good <laughs> Thanks for your time today, Neil. It's great to have you on. I really appreciate you making this happen, and uh, I hope the rest of the press stuff goes well. But yeah, it's it's a dream come true to have you back on, and thanks so much. And I can't wait for people to see the film. Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's awesome. I really, really appreciate it. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the absolutely incredible Neil Blomkamp, easily one of my favourite filmmakers in the business, one of the nicest guys out there, and he is responsible for making one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. District 9. It really is an absolute masterpiece and to see now how he's taken the time during lockdown and the pandemic to go and make a whole brand new film and to dive right into a whole new world of different subgenres, he's done it with absolute style. I can't wait for people that are listening today to check out the film Demonic. It's going to be out on the 27th of August at your local cinemas or on video on demand. But as I did say at the start of today's episode, if you're lucky enough to live near London, I urge you to go to the Arrow Film Festival. 
It has its premiere there and to see it on the big screen in all its glory is the way it should be seen. You will not regret it and please let me know your thoughts after seeing this film. I want to say a massive thank you today as well to Neil. He's come on the podcast twice now and is so generous with his time. I can't thank you enough for coming on and you are an absolute dream to work with and one of my favourite guests that I've ever had on. And let's just hope you can come back on again and make it a third time in the very near future. I also want to say a massive thank you to Vice Press News and to Last Exit to Nowhere. Those guys help this podcast a lot. And if you jump onto markandme.com, I have links on there to my Patreon page. All the money that comes in via Patreon goes directly back into the podcast. It allows me to host a podcast on Spotify, Podomatic, Amazon Music, and all the various different networks that you will find your podcasts on. It's not cheap, and it really means a lot if you can support me. And because of Ice Press and Last Exit Snowwear, each and every month they're giving me amazing prizes to help this podcast, and also as a big thank you for you guys out there for taking the time to support me. So jump onto markandme.com, sign up on Patreon, and be in with a chance to win some incredible prints or incredible t-shirts from those lovely guys. Also, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please share this. It costs absolutely nothing to do, and all the Facebook and Twitter and Instagram links are all on markandme.com. It means a huge deal to me when I see people taking the time to share it. It only is a click of the button, but can bring a whole new audience to the podcast, and that, for me, is priceless, so please keep doing that. I will be back in only a few days' time with a brand new episode. As always, it's never going to quiet down anytime soon, so until I speak to you all in a few days' time, look after yourself, Take care of each other and I'll speak to you all very soon.